Welcome to the news sessions from Mishkondorea, hosted by Hayley Geffen. A conversation on key legal matters that affect you and your business. The News Sessions Podcast with Hayley Geffen. Hello, I'm Hayley Geffen and you're listening to The News Sessions from Mishkondorea, where we take a look at a key area of law hitting the headlines. Today, we're talking about blockchain. What is blockchain and why should we care? Well, it might just be the future of transactions. And let's face it, we all make a lot of those. The earliest ledgers can apparently be traced back to 4000 BC in ancient Mesopotamia. Does this mean blockchain is actually not a newfangled concept at all? Here to discuss is real estate lawyer Nick Kirby, IP lawyer Anne Rose, and corporate lawyer Tom Grogan, all from Mishkondorea. So Tom, here's a challenge for you. Explain blockchain in less than 60 seconds. I guess blockchain in in simple terms is a a ledger, a way of recording um, and auditing transactions and tracking ownership of a thing from time to time. Yeah, it could be anything. It could be a creative asset, such as rights to a song. It could be a stock trade. It could be a property title. And every time something moves from one place on the register to another, it is timestamped and publicly recorded. But why do you need that instead of what we've got currently? What's the difference between what you've just described and what we do currently? I guess that's the inherent problem with digital assets versus physical assets. In the real world, so to speak, we know there is a thing because we can see it. You can't copy a piece of paper uh, without visibly seeing there are now two pieces of paper, whereas you have a digital asset and you can select it, you can copy and paste and you can send it to all of your friends. Mark Andreessen, who is like a very prominent American investor and wrote some of the earliest computer browsers, probably says it best when he says that blockchain and other DLT forms, distributed ledger technology forms, for that matter, give us for the very first time a way of tracking digital assets so that we can be confident that a transfer has taken place, that no one can challenge the legitimacy of that transfer, and that that transfer can be safe and secure. So it's, it's creating safety and security in so, the digital So world. in that way, it's something that we need since we've all gone digital and, you know, everything is online. It's something that was born out of a need rather than an invention that's been bolted on. Yeah, I think that's I think yeah. that's fair. And I think one of the really exciting things about it is process integrity and one of the things behind that as well is this concept of public and private keys. So to explain it comes simply, if I was to yes, send please. a message <laughs> to Nick, say, and I'd use my private key and that would ensure that he knew that that message emanated from me and I'd encrypt it with my private key. And then Nick would have a public key that's known to everyone. So imagine that like an email address that everyone would know and I'd send it to him. And then for him to be able to read it, he'd almost use like a login, almost like your, your login to your, your mail account. And that would enable him to be able to read it using his private key and to decrypt it. I think some of the point of blockchain is to remove third parties from this idea of transacting digitally. So we don't need a trusted third party to sit in the way of us transacting. So if I want to send you digital currency, I can send you digital currency and I don't need to send it via a bank, for example. That's the point, isn't it? And I guess that all ties back to Haley's introduction when she talks about 4000 BC, the origination of of ledgers in uh, ancient Mesopotamia. Back then they used to have a a clay scripture or a tablet or, or a rock where they would record ownership of grain in a village and to know who owned what grain they went to the big stone or the tablet or whatever and they read it and what that tablet said went 
and it worked. It worked for, yeah, for just the majority now of time. it's on a different tablet. Exactly. And, and then uh, society's got more complex and we realised that actually what if someone tampers with that tablet or what if someone acts nefariously in, in some way? And so we started to trust these third-party intermediaries. So think now, how do I know how much money I've got in my bank account? I trust a bank to, to monitor that for me. And that, again, it works the majority of the time. What about the few times it doesn't? Um, what about um, if we disagree with what that ledger says? What if, as we've seen a number of times, that single point of failure, that intermediary, be it a bank or a social media network or, or whatever, what if their systems go down? We don't have access to our data and no one knows what's going on. This way, we distribute the ledger. So rather than everybody referring to a single copy held by a third party, everyone holds a copy of it. And because everyone holds a copy of it and can see it at any point, they have faith in it and they trust it. So if we use banks as the example in terms of how disruptive it will be, from what you've just said, that sounds like you know, there may be banks quaking in their boots if they're not required to perform that role anymore. Or am I being a bit anarchic in that suggestion? I think it changes the role rather than eliminates the right. The origins of blockchain and DLT in Bitcoin is very much the death to the banks and, and we can run the world and the economy without the banks. I mean, the, the financial services sector is the biggest investor in this technology. I see. Yeah. I also think as well, um, going on that, it can change as well. Countries where people are unbanked, but most of them have phones, you know, they can use their mobile phone and coupled with this technology... If you were, say, a farmer and you wanted to be able to have a digital record to show that you were supplying a certain amount of crops every single month and you could use this and have this as a digital record and other people on the supply chain could back you up and support you and say, yes, you know, we, we validate this and we agree that you are supplying this certain amount of crops each month. And then that would also increase your credibility, it would reduce your, your risk score and actually enable financiers to be able to give you some money to be able to help you in your future projects that you might want to do. And it would actually enable individuals to be able to, to get money coming in to help with their projects. I think as well that's, that's an area as well where it can really um, assist and grow. And I suppose in that way it's pretty democratic if we're talking about unbanked people that's you know, a, a very large proportion of parts of the world Absolutely. that may not have had this facility that now can. That's super exciting. Yeah, I think it's very exciting. Can any of you tell me about a real-world example that is something that we all know about where blockchain is used? I can jump in here with an example which we got involved in recently. It's a proof of concept and it's to do with transferring uh, residential property, so something that lots of people know about. We spent a long time trying to think about what we should get involved in when it came to blockchain. We really wanted to do something that was a proper real-life use case where blockchain could have an impact on a significant number of people. So we worked with the land registry to um, help digitize the flow of buying and selling residential property. And to do that, we used blockchain. Um, and it was something the land registry are really excited about. They really want to drive and understand how blockchain might change and transform that buy-sell journey. It's something the government's really obsessed about, making it better. The, the time that it takes to transact property has been getting longer and longer, not shorter and shorter, which is strange in this digital era when things have been getting faster. Certainly buying and selling goods has been getting faster. So, yeah, we used blockchain to effectively enable a much faster journey from when a seller decided to sell their property and transfer a token that was um, recorded on a ledger 
transfer that token to their lawyer and that was passed around and the various people that get involved in buying and selling a piece of real estate until we were able to transfer the property immediately and have registration happen on the same day that the property was completed. So that is very much a real world example in that it's someone who sold their house and someone yeah. who bought that house. Correct, exactly. It was just a proof of concept, but it's very much a real life example, something that Land Registry really want to push forward. They've openly said that in the next two years, they want that to happen in real life. They want transactions to start to happen using blockchain because that proof of concept and the, the, the seller, there's a really nice quote from the seller about how much better it was than the normal journey and they'd just done it. Um, and so they're really keen to use something like DLT to significantly speed up um, buying and selling property. Okay. If we look ahead to the future, perhaps homes are being bought and sold using blockchain. Where else do you think there will be a key change in terms of blockchain's use and the fact that you know we'll look back and think, oh, wasn't it ridiculous we used to do it a different way? I guess I question whether or not that eventuality will ever happen. Um, I'm not sure everyone will need to know what blockchain is or why blockchain is or how it works. How many men on the street or women on the street can explain what TCIP is? Very few. not me. Very few. (laughs) Well, and yet they're comfortable using the internet every day. And they're comfortable using the protocols that underpin the internet and, and make it secure and make it safe and make it work. I see blockchain as, at the moment, it's this this newfangled thing that everyone feels that they should know about and feels that they should understand. My hope is that in 10 years' time, my mum still doesn't know what blockchain (laughs) is, and yet she's comfortable enough trading her personal data via a platform that just so happens to be underpinned by a blockchain. And and has a real benefit to that user without them needing to... Absolutely. Get really nosy. People don't, and arguably shouldn't care about technology. They care about solutions and how it makes their life easier. Um... And that's where I think we'll we'll see blockchain. Yeah, one one of the things I think is exciting about it is not necessarily the technology itself, but what the enablement of change. So it really seems to have driven people to really think creatively about how stuff works, how it can be done. As you say, like blockchain is not necessarily always the answer, but I think it's driven so much change in mentality about how we can innovate and change the way we do things. That I think that's one oh, of the yeah, quite absolutely. exciting things about it. I think as well at one point, you know, everyone was talking about blockchain and, you know, they felt as though this this would help them and, you know, but you still have to have a use case. And there's that example of that company, Long Island Iced Tea, and it changed its name to Long Island Blockchain Corporation. (laughs) And no one knows why, but it worked. And their share price rose by 289%. And it didn't last very long. And then they were delisted from NASDAQ. Uh, a few months later. That's interesting. And that actually leads me to one of my questions about whether or not it's a fad. It sounds like the uses for it aren't a fad, but maybe the kind of media obsession, including arguably this podcast, is not necessarily (laughs) on the right track. I think what Anne says is right. The days in which saying something was a blockchain company meant that you'd automatically raise 10 times more money than if it were not a blockchain company, They're, they're gone and good riddance. I think we're increasingly seeing blockchain move from being the sexy front end of a company, companies are describing themselves as blockchain companies, to now they're companies that just so happen to utilise a bit of blockchain technology. We're seeing more and more clients and, and, and governments as well who are looking to build platforms that in the back end is a DLT system or a DLT platform, but on top of it they're building some really cool applications. And the application's what we care about and the governments care about and the clients care about. So is the fad over? Possibly. Blockchain's not going anywhere. And I also think people are starting to be more educated. 
So I think, you know, um, crypto and blockchain have originally been quite misunderstood. And rather than, you know, talking about them here and perpetuating the myths, I think people are those starting to become a little bit more educated about how the technology works. And, you know, I mean, I think it is quite a hard thing to understand. And I don't blame people. You know, you've got these names like cryptographic algorithms and hash functions and nodes and miners who verify transactions and all this is created by language, this, essentially. Yeah, this mysterious person or persons called <laughs> Satoshi Nakamoto. You know, and I, you know, I don't, don't blame people for finding it tricky to understand. If you're a business owner, especially one, let's use transactions, because I think that is one of the clearest uses. Are there things that you should be exploring now? Is that how it works? Do you sort of go out and find your blockchain provision or is it going to be delivered to you in a different way? Honestly? Probably not. Most use cases for blockchain are relatively niche at the moment. I think is I think is fair to say. Um, I think if if I were talking to a, a board of directors or a, or a CTO or a digital lead in the government, we'd say you need to know about this because it's going to disrupt the industry broadly. Um, and we run education sessions and education programs for those those people. Odds are the answer is going to be there might be something for you, but probably not yet. Not always yeah. the case. Sometimes get on it right now. But broadly, I think it's it's a, it's still a watching brief, I think, for most. It's, it's, for me, it's more, again, it comes down to business change again. So if you're interested in trying to use blockchain to solve a problem, like find out what that problem is first, rather than uh, immediately yes. jumping to blockchain. Rather than change your name from <laughs> cocktails to blockchain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. maybe do that as well. <laughs> what, what we found is that generally we'll have conversations with clients and they'll say, we've got this problem, we want you to come in and tell us whether or not blockchain will fix it. And sometimes we go in and blockchain could fix it and then we can help them. Probably 70% of the time we go in and they have got a problem and blockchain might be an answer, but actually there are plenty of other technologies or non even non-technical solutions that yeah. may be better place for them and then we can assist them with that but it's if we can get us in the door and we can have the conversation we can understand the problem better then yeah then and i guess you don't know until you know so if you exactly. ask about blockchain's application to your business you'll find out exactly. exactly and is blockchain going to change the world i do think it could change quite significantly how people who are in countries where they, they don't have access to, to finance and banks, but they might have a, a mobile phone and combine with this technology, it could completely transform So it could change lives. their world, if not the world. I was going to say, exactly. to, play, to play slightly devil's advocate, yeah, I think it will. I, I don't think it's going to create a totally... <laughs> We've got a full no and a full yes. <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to cre create some utopian society where all of our problems are fixed and, you know, we can't imagine a world, how did we survive without blockchain? But it will make possible transactions or asset classes that could not have been transacted or traded before. It has the potential to allow us to realise our personal data as an asset. It has the potential to bank previously unbankable um, citizens worldwide. So will it fix the world? No. It could have a significant effect and a significant change, I think. Yeah, I think some of those countries where they don't necessarily have quite the same um, structure that we do, so Estonia, for example, their land registry decided to put their register on the blockchain. And that's because they didn't have 150 years of land registry behind them and so that was the, for them that was the natural solution to that particular problem for us that doesn't make that doesn't make sense so i think definitely pockets of the world will probably be changed along the way i also think as well like with the trend that you have at the moment with sustainability certainly in the retail industry i think there could be quite a transformation where 
let's say, in it could just be a few years' time, it could be 20 years' time, but you go into a store and you can use your phone and you'll scan a QR code and it will tell you, okay, that tuna, you know, this is this is the sea it came from, you can see how long it's in the warehouse for, when it was distributed, and then they might as well feed you with adverts or, or things that actually go along, but you could actually see this whole chain of information about the provenance of this item that you're buying. And I think as well that might really start to take off, especially with this whole trend and towards people being more aware of their carbon footprint and where the sources of their products come from. Fascinating. So do you guys have any advice for people who want to know more but are feeling locked out, a bit lost, that the the language of technology is putting them off blockchain? Where should they go? What should they do? I think there's some really good um, free commercial think tanks out there with some great research on them. I particularly like ZYEN. Um, I think it's got some really useful information out there for people. And then there are also loads of books out there. I particularly like the ones which are blockchain and law related. <laughs> I mean, that was <laughs> always me. going to happen. <laughs> um, so there's a great one as well by um, Michelle Fink, which is Blockchain Governance and Regulation. And there's Primavera de Filippi, who's also done one on, on blockchain and the law. And uh, she's also a fantastic artist as well, which is her, her hidden talent as well as being a lawyer. Wow. Yeah. I think if you've got some time and you're prepared to be a bit discerning and critical as to the, the quality of the source material... Reddit is excellent if you want to get lost down a, a complete rabbit hole. Interesting. It's a bit like the TK Maxx of, of, <laughs> of, the of the internet in that you have to wade through plenty of things that maybe are right, maybe aren't right, but there, there are some gems in there and you can really... Uh, I think sometimes the, the, the quality of commentary and discussion there is much more current than what you might find in sort of what we'd usually consider to be mainstream sources of information. Cool. It seems to me that blockchain is fairly self-sufficient. So what do we need you guys, the lawyers, for? I think there's a number of uh, legal issues and questions and challenges that, that sort of come to the fore when you're we're talking blockchain or, or DLT. And that goes to the, the way it fundamentally changes the way in which people interact. Our, our whole body of law is based on how we as human beings interact with each other. So let's think for a moment about assets. Under English law, uh, there are three classes of property. There's real property, which is like the building we're sitting in now. There's a shows in possession, which is a thing. You know, if you can kick it, it's a shows in possession. Um, and there's a shows in action, which is a right to enforce against something. Now, what's a token in a blockchain sense? It's clearly not real property. It's not building. I can't kick it. So it's not a shows in possession. And there's no central issuer of it. So against who do I enforce my rights? Um, that's the topic of a, of a massive academic, u- debate. academic debate at the moment. And goes to the novelty of blockchain. It exactly. hasn't been considered by the law before. Exactly. So at the moment, the UK Jurisdiction Task Force is doing some great work and we've been um, contributing to the consultation there and, and, and chipping in there to figure out how does that work? Is the answer that we create a whole new class of property? Can we even do that? How do we do that? Or, in actual fact, do we just need to map our existing definitions and our existing concepts over to include it? So that's a a very fundamental, probably the most fundamental legal question going on in the UK, certainly. You've also got questions as to, we have smart contracts, and you can't see me on the screen, I'm doing inverted commas um, when I say smart contract. Bunny ears is the Bunny ears, is that that what it's called? Mm. Smart contracts are neither smart nor are they contracts. Um, They are self executing, not self-enforcing. And my understanding of basic jurisprudence at uni is that a contract is something that's capable of being enforced if you 
don't stick to it. Smart contracts don't need to be enforced because they just happen, and they are only as smart as the person who's coded them. Under English law, what if you disagree with the outcome of that smart contract, or the smart contract doesn't perform as was the intention of the parties for whatever reason, um, presumably the, the fault of the, the coder? Is that legally enforceable? Again, that's a question that's being examined at the moment. Thank you, Anne, Nick and Tom. I feel like I'm now on the beginning of my journey to understand more about blockchain. I'm Hayley Geffen, and this is The New Sessions. The New Sessions, in partnership with Mishkan Dereya. Find more of The New Sessions podcasts dealing with key legal matters on iTunes. The News Sessions is a Jazz FM production for Mishkan Dereya.